If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you take them please and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And today we were going to be looking at verses 33 through 37. And I hope that as you came in this morning, you received a bulletin. It uh, has the outline on it that we'll follow as we work our way through the message. The message is entitled, What Jesus Said About Lying. And of course, as you know, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, following the theme of how to live according to Jesus. So Matthew chapter five, beginning with verse 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, but for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is evil. Why would Jesus bring up the subject of lying? Well, it is because very simply, all of us at some time or another have lied. We all have, even babies lie. For example, in Psalm chapter 58 and verse three, the Bible says, these wicked people are born sinners. Even from birth, they have lied and gone on their own way. Well, you might say, well, pastor, I've never heard a, a baby lie. Well, no, not verbally perhaps, but uh, sometimes a baby will cry giving the impression that they are hungry when in reality all they want is attention. So they can be misleading at times. It's sometimes hard to predict exactly what a baby means when it cries. But the psalmist is saying that when a person is born, they are born as sinners. In fact, you'll remember the explanation that I often give from that verse of scripture in Psalm chapter 55, I believe it is, where the psalmist said, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And I've often wondered really what was that meaning because well, I understand the scriptures teaches that the sexual relationship between a husband and wife is godly and holy uh, and wholesome. Uh, so what does it mean that uh, in sin did my mother conceive me? And then I read the amplified Bible translation of the verse which says, my mother who conceived me is a sinner and I am a sinner too. In other words, when you were born or when you were conceived and born, then you inherited your mother and father's sinful nature. You do not have to teach a child to sin or to disobey. They do it automatically. You have to teach a child to do what's right and to learn the distinction between what's right and what's wrong. And so the psalmist is saying that even from the very moment of birth, a child tends to lead and to go in the way of falsehoods. In 1991, James Peterson and Peter Kim published a book entitled, The Day America Told the Truth. 
And according to their research, just about everyone lies. According to their research, 91% of us lie regularly. Majority of us find it hard to go through a week without telling a lie. One in five people cannot make it through a single day. And we're talking about conscious, premeditated lies. The majority of Americans, two out of every three people, believe that there's nothing wrong with telling a lie. Only 31%, according to their research, believes that honesty is the best policy. So we understand now why perhaps the Lord would address such a subject, especially as he's talking about how should we live? How should we live according to Jesus? And he is saying, don't tell lies. The common human nature of us is to go about our ways and sometimes telling things that are not true. In the passage of scripture that we're looking at, he uses the word oath and he uses the word vow. They both mean the same thing. We can translate it promise. Because when you take an oath or when you make a vow, what you are doing is you're, you're making a promise. You're saying, I promise to, then whatever it is that you are promising to do or to say. The word oath itself literally means to be fenced in. So when you take a vow or when you take an oath, you are fencing yourself in. You're, you're trapping yourself in essence. You're building a fence around yourself and you're saying, uh, and I cannot get out of this, that I'm telling the truth. Uh, when you have to go to the courtroom and be a witness, you may be sworn in to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing else but the truth, so help you God. That is an oath. You are promising that you will tell nothing else but the truth. Now, Jesus is not saying, and we'll look at this in, in more detail in just a second, uh, that we should not tell oaths. There's nothing wrong with an oath or a vow so long as you keep it. I can give you two or three examples in the Bible. For example, Moses. Moses commanded the people, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. Now, the word swear here, it has nothing to do with profanity. It's the same thing as an oath or a promise or a vow. You are taking an oath by the name of the Lord. Moses told the people to swear or take an oath by the name of the Lord. And then there is the apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 9, the apostle Paul said, For God is my witness. So when you call upon the Lord to be your witness, that's what in essence you're saying, I'm taking an oath, I promise you that what I am saying, what I am doing is the truth. Even God himself has sworn an oath. For example, in the book of Genesis, chapter 15, and the first 18 verses, we're only looking at verse 13, in Genesis 15, 13, the Bible says, the Lord said to his people, know for certain. And the word certain there means, I'm telling you the truth. There's no doubt about this. There's no question about this. If you have the King James version of the Bible, it is the word surety, surety. 
Know surely that what I am saying to you is the truth. So he's talking about here a promise, a vow that is made. Now, again, if you have the King James Version of the Bible, there is the word forswear, forswear. We translate it, and the translation that I'm reading from translates it false witness or false oath. So look at verse 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows. The term false vows in the King James is translated forswear. And what that word means is that you do not perjure yourself. You do not fence yourself in with a lie that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing else but the truth, so help you God. There are about six things that I want to pull out of these verses today as we think about what Jesus had to say regarding our telling lies. And the first thing that you see on your bulletin is that Jesus was saying that God the Father hates lying. Now notice in verse 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients, now the word ancients is, is a reference to people of the Old Testament days, the long ago people. We say the old timers, the people who lived in a, a former generation. So he's talking about people of the Old Testament days. And he's saying, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows. Well, why is that? Because a vow that is false is an abomination unto the Lord. Here, for example, in Proverbs 12, 22, Proverbs 12, 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. So lying lips are an abomination unto the Lord. The word abomination means that it is offensive. It is offensive to the Lord for you to tell a lie. And the reason why is because God is truth. God, the Bible tells us, cannot lie. He does not love lying lips. It is an offense to him. It is an abomination unto him. Other translations render it as it is detestable unto him or that it is disgusting unto the Lord. That's what the word abomination means. And so the Bible in Proverbs 12, says that when you tell a lie, then that is a disgusting abominable thing unto the Lord. It is offensive to him. In Proverbs chapter six and verses 16 through 19, the Bible says there are six things which the Lord hates. And two of those six things that he mentions in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 are these, a lying tongue and a false witness who utters lies. So he says God hates. Now, we, we simply uh, feel terrible to say that God hates. I'm always told and read where, where God loves us and God loves and he shows mercy and grace. It's true. But the Bible also says that there are things that God hates. He doesn't hate people. He hates sin. And we should do the same thing and have the same attitude toward ourselves and other people. We shouldn't hate people. We hate the sin that they commit. We hate the sin that we commit, but we don't hate people. God doesn't hate people. The Bible says God loves the world, the whole, all the people of the world, but he hates lying. 
Lying lips and a person who tells lies about other people. That's what a false witness is. You don't have to stand in a courtroom and swear that you'll tell the whole truth to lie about your neighbor. You can do it by gossiping, by getting on the telephone or just in a conversation with somebody somewhere where you're spreading rumors and gossiping and telling things that has no foundation whatsoever and yet you're passing it on as though it were the truth. And it is that kind of thing that the Bible says that God hates. So <clears throat> the Bible says that there is a time to hate and a time to love, that we're to hate the evil and love the good, and God does that. You may recall in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, there's a couple there by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, uh, if you read prior to that in Acts chapter four, you see the example of Barnabas. Barnabas evidently was a prosperous individual. He was a believer in Christ. He loved the Lord. He was concerned about other people, especially those less fortunate than himself. And so the Bible says that he sold a piece of property and he gave the money to the church for the apostles to take and distribute it among the poor of the, of the church family. Well, Ananias and Sapphira saw, saw what he had done and uh, the acclamation that he received and how they were grateful for that. So they decided they would do the same thing, that they would sell a piece of property and sell it for a certain price, but not tell the truth about how much they really sold it for and kept part of it for themselves. And so they took it to the apostle and uh, gave it to the church, but the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter, and Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira, why has Satan put it into your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And they didn't know, they thought that nobody knew this but them, and, and, and God struck them dead just like that. One, one at a time, Ananias came in, Sapphira came in, Drop dead. I mean, why has Satan put it into your heart to tell a lie and drop dead? I wonder what would happen today if the Holy Spirit would do that to you and to me. Would we be like Pinocchio having to sit on the back row and no offense to the people on the back row there, but your nose would grow so long it'd reach all the way down to the front. Or maybe it would be like the lady who realized that she'd been spreading lies and she came to the pastor during the invitation and said, Pastor, I need to lay my altar my, my tongue on the altar and he said, I don't know that it's quite that long. <laughs> to tell lies, to spread rumors about other people is an abomination unto the Lord. And he hates such things. And so maybe we would have to have a morgue in, in, the, in the Lord auditorium of our church when people just drop dead. Be thankful that God doesn't strike you dead when you tell a lie. Whether it's black or white or technicolor, doesn't matter. If it's not the truth, then it's a lie. So Jesus tells us that God hates lying. I want to give you one more example of this. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, beginning with verse 57. Jesus has died. He's died on the cross. Those who hated our Lord were doing everything within their power to discredit him, and especially anything regarding the very thought of his having been raised from the dead. So in Matthew 26, beginning with verse 57, 
Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now the chief priest and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, this man, that is Jesus, stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, did you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blaspheming. What do you think? And they answered, he deserves to die. And they spat in his face and beat him with their fist. And others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? So they were trying to get false witnesses to come forward and say, we heard him say this. We heard him say that. And they couldn't get anybody. Until toward the end of it, these two stepped forward and said, well, we heard him say, destroy this temple and I'll raise it back up in three days. Well, he wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was talking about his body. And so they misrepresented and they told lies on the Lord. And so here is just an example that Satan will use us. So Jesus was saying that God the Father hates lying. Notice the second thing. Jesus was saying that promises must be kept. Go back to verse 33. So he said, you have heard it said by the ancients, you shall not bear or make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. So as I understand verse 33, the latter part of it, he's saying it's not wrong to, to say a, a make a vow or, or say an oath as long as you keep it. So it's okay, but you've got to realize you must not find a loophole to get out of it. You can't look for a back door to escape from it. If you're going to make a vow, if you're going to say an oath, then you must be willing to keep it and not go back on your word. So in the book of Numbers, chapter 30, verse one and two, then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the son of Israel saying, this is the word which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So it's okay to make a vow or to say an oath or to take an oath, but remember, once those words come off your lips, once they first come out of your mouth, then you are obligated to follow through with that promise or with that vow. Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For it would be sin in you and the Lord your God will surely hold you required for it. 
However, if you refrain from vowing, it will not be a sin. In other words, it's best if, if, if you realize I, I can't keep this, well, then don't do it. If you can't keep the promise and you know in advance that you can't keep it, that it's impossible for you to keep it, then it would be terrible for you to follow through with it. Don't stop. Get away from that. You shall be careful to perform what goes out from your lips just as you have voluntarily vowed it to your Lord God what you have promised. So Jesus was saying that promises, once you make them, must be kept. Number three, Jesus was saying that every promise is related to God. Look at it in verses 34 through 36. But I say to you, Make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, sanctity of speech depreciated in those days and still in our days too. As long as you made a vow to God, they said, you must keep it. But if you, if you made a vow and did not include the name of God and you wanted to back out of it or you didn't want to fulfill it, then you could get out of it. They even went so far as to say, if you're facing the city of Jerusalem and you're saying, I promise on the name and the authority of the city of Jerusalem that I will keep this vow. And then later you didn't. Because you didn't make it to God, you made it to Jerusalem instead of to God, then you weren't obligated to follow through with it. But notice what Jesus says. When you take a vow, do not swear or take the vow on the authority of heaven. For he says in verse 34, make no oath at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. So if you're not going to keep it, don't, don't bring God into it. Notice he says, nor on the earth. Why? Because it's God's footstool. God made this earth. This earth doesn't exist without God. And then he said, don't do it for the city of the great king because it's God's town. It's God's city. God said, I will place my name on the city of Jerusalem. And then he said, don't do it by the swear of your top of your head. Because why? Because you're created in the image of God. What I think he's saying here is that whether you're facing God or facing heaven or, or facing the city of Jerusalem, it doesn't matter. If you make a promise, you are obligated to keep it. And you say, well, <laughs> we, we, we don't live in those days. Well, let me give you some contemporary examples of this. And this a lot of times comes from, from teenagers, teenagers, or, or even adults. When you're talking with somebody, you say, oh, I'm serious about this. I'm serious about this. Well, are you insinuated then the rest of the time you've been talking, you haven't been serious? So now all of a sudden you're getting serious? Or have you heard this one? If I'm lying, I'm dying. Well, dig the grave, buddy. <laughs> Scout's honor. Whatever. <laughs> Scout's honor. I'm not lying. Scout's honor. Hey, here's one. Cross my heart. Hope to die. Well, the one involved, the bodily organ of sincerity with the sanctity of life. Are you, have your hand behind your back? You got your fingers crossed. Oh, I didn't really mean it. See, I had my fingers crossed when I made that, so it doesn't count. 
See, see that's what Jesus was saying about don't, don't swear by heaven, don't swear by the earth. It doesn't matter to whom you are swearing, it all is sworn to God. That's what he's saying. So be careful. Jesus was saying that every promise is a promise that is made to the Lord, whether you use his name or not. Number four, Jesus was saying we should be completely honest, be completely honest. Look at verse 37. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. In other words, he was saying, let your yes mean yes. And yet your, let your no mean no. Don't try to add anything to it. Don't try to insinuate. Read the fine print. No, up front, you're honest in what you're saying. When I say something, then you can take it at face value. It is true. And I mean what I say. Yes, I mean yes. No, I mean no. And don't read the fine print. Don't add all the fine print. Well, I didn't know all that was down there. You, you, when you sign a contract, you better read all the fine print. Jesus was saying we should be completely honest. Jesus knew a better way. It was be honest. Be honest. Honest speech has no need for an oath to support it. Number five, Jesus was saying that lying is evil because it comes from a heart that is evil. You remember John chapter eight and verse 44, what the Lord said about the devil? You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of it. So in the garden of Eden, what does Satan do? He lies to Eve and he says, oh, God didn't mean what he said. He, God said yes or no, but no, no, he didn't really mean all of that. God knows that when you take of that fruit and eat of it, then you will become as he is, to know good and evil. God, you'll be elevated to the same level as he is, and God doesn't want you up there by him. So uh, he didn't really mean that. You shall not surely die. So he told a lie. And Jesus said of the devil, why his very nature is to lie. He tells a lie and he's a father of all lies. You know, when, when you tell a lie, who gives you the inspiration to do that? Well, if he's the father of lies, it has to be the devil. Notice what the book of Acts says when Ananias and Sapphira brought that gift. What did Peter say to them, Ananias? Has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? I, I tend to believe that every lie that you and I tell gets its origin from the devil. He's just saying there, we see these cartoons sometimes, the devil sitting on your shoulder and the angel on the other one. The devil says, oh, go on, tell him, tell him, tell him, tell him. I know that's just cartoonish, but I sometimes believe it's true that it all comes from the devil. He's a liar and he's the father of lies. 
and he tries to get you to lie too because God loves you, but the devil hates you. And he will do everything within his power to destroy you, even lying to you. Well, listen to this. Psalm 15 and the first five verses that I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. So just listen to it. Psalm 15, write it down if you care to. Psalm 15, the first five verses, the New Living Translation. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbor or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent, such people will stand firm forever. And talking about not charging interest in those days, if somebody was destitute and couldn't afford to pay it and wanted to borrow the money, if you were Jew giving to a Jew, you were not to charge interest. Interest free. Now they were to pay it back, but they were not to be charged interest. Wish they would follow that today. Well, a man named Steve May, a preacher and so forth, he made this comment, and I know it's, it's a little lengthy more than usual, but listen, listen to what Steve May said. All you can do is keep your word. You can't add strength to your words by saying, I mean it, I really mean it. This time I really, 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 really mean it. My guess is, Steve May says, that the more times you say really, really, the less likely you are to be able to keep your promise. I really, really mean it. There's only one way to convince others that you are a person of your word. You back your word with your actions. That's how you do it. You keep your word. You mean what you say. Now, ultimately, Steve May says, you don't answer to your boss. You don't answer to your spouse. You don't answer to public opinion. You don't answer to the preacher. Ultimately, you answer to God. I, I get amused sometimes. People say, well, I wonder what the preacher thinks about this, if he sees me doing this or hear me saying this. You don't have to worry about me, folks. I'm in the same boat like you are. <laughs> I'm responsible to God. And someday, I'm gonna to have to stand before the Lord and give an account unto him for my life. What I say, what I do, and the motive behind it. Why I do it, and why I say it. And God's gonna hold me accountable for that. He's gonna hold you accountable for it too. You're gonna to answer to God for your life. Where you go, what you say, what you do, and why you do it. It's all going to be laid out there before him. So you don't have to worry about me. You don't have to apologize to me. You don't have to offer excuses to me, nor I to you. But boy, you do to God. You're going to answer to him whether you like it or not. So this brings me to the sixth idea. And so I'm shifting from the passage of scripture to go on with something that is just as important. And that is that when Jesus was talking about heaven and hell, he was telling you the truth. 
Jesus is God, and the Bible says that God cannot lie. So whatever Jesus said about hell, brother, you can take it to the bank. What Jesus had to say about hell was the truth, and what Jesus had to say about heaven is the truth. So what did Jesus say about hell? Well, he's talked about it as being a real place. Wasn't the figment of his imagination. This is not something that he was guessing out or making up like a fairy tale. When Jesus was talking about hell, he was saying it's real. Jesus said of himself, this is what Jesus said of himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what it says up here at the top. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when Jesus spoke, you know, he usually began what he was about to say with this word. If you have the King James, it says, verily, verily, I say to you. More modern translation renders and gets closer to the origin of it. It means truly, truly. What he was saying, truly, truly. What I'm about to say to you is the truth. And so he said, verily, verily, I say to you. Therefore, he can be trusted to tell you the truth about heaven and hell. And in Matthew 10, 28, he said, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So yes, you may be persecuted. Somebody may shoot you. Somebody uh, in war, what are you, you may die. Don't worry about people who can kill you physically. You need to worry about somebody who can take your soul and your body and throw it in hell. Because hell is real. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will also say to those who are on the left, depart from me, accursed ones, into an eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus meant what he said. Hell is real. But he also meant it to be the truth when he talked about heaven. Let not your heart be fearful. You believe in God, believe also in me. What? Believe in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare that place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is real. Just as real as hell is. And God tells you the truth in the person of his son. Jesus was God in the flesh. Well, quickly, let me end with this. And the last thought that's on your outline is this. There's good news. Good news. The evil heart that speaks lies can be changed into a good heart that speaks the truth. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said, these things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. What's he saying here? Well, he says, when you talk, what the words that come out of your mouth is simply an indication or an index of what's in your heart. Just like that old proverbial thing that what comes up out of the well, what comes up in the bucket is what's in the bottom of the well. What comes out of the mouth is what comes, it comes out of the heart, it comes out of the inside of you. So he says what? The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And these are the things that defile a man for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unclean hands do not defile a man. So it's what's in the heart. And, and the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick and wicked. Who can know it? 
Your heart, as I said at the very beginning, you were born with an evil heart. And the older you have gotten to be, the more it comes out. You are by nature a sinner. You are rotten in sin on the inside. And it's what comes out of the heart that condemns you. So what is the answer? Well, the Lord says, nobody can know the heart, but I can, he says. I created you and I can change you if you'll just give your heart to me. I like the way the New Living Translation translates the, the, the passage out of, out of Jeremiah. It said, who really knows how bad the heart is? I do, says the Lord. I search the hearts and I examine the secret motives that are in the heart. I think that's why the psalmist will say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and lead me in the way everlasting. So what do we do? Well, we confess to the Lord that we're sinners. You remember what David said as recorded in Psalm 51 when Nathan pointed his sharp finger in his face and said, you're guilty of adultery and you're guilty of murder. What did David do? Well, he didn't kill the prophet. He's just the messenger boy. But he got on his knees before God and poured out his heart into the Lord and cried, oh God, create in me a clean heart. That's what you do. You just simply stop lying. You turn from it. You turn from sin. And you ask God to cleanse you and to forgive you. And then claim that verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created you. What is he saying? Through your repentance, through your asking God to cleanse you, just like taking off your old dirty clothes and laying them over to one side and you put on a whole new garment. But it's not an outward garment, it's an inward garment. You change your heart, you let God clean you up and you become a new person on the inside. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are made new. So a lying heart by the power of God's grace and forgiveness can change it to a sincere heart out from which will come the truth. So let's bow together. I would encourage you as, as David the psalmist did uh, when he asked the Lord to search his heart to see if there was any wicked way within him and to cleanse him and forgive him and set him aright. That's the answer. You just open up your heart and your life to Jesus. And as a Christian, if you are a believer already, then you realize that what you've been saying, what you've been doing has been a lie. And you ask God to forgive you. And if you've never trusted the Lord to begin with, if you've never made a commitment to him, if you've never invited him into your heart, you simply say, Lord Jesus, I confess to you, I am a sinner. And I'm asking you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins, to clean out my heart, to clean out the evil that is there, 
and give me a new heart and make of me a new person so that I can honor you and live my life according to the way that you desire. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. And if you're here today and you have prayed that prayer and need to make it public, that's why we give an invitation to allow you to come forward and let us rejoice with you in any decision that you may have made, whether it's to be saved or to make knowledge uh, to our people that you've been saved or to join our church, whatever it may be. If God's leading you, you come. Brother Andre, where, there you are. Let's all stand, please, and you come as God's Spirit leads you.